we're going to be talking about today, Paul's teaching to Timothy on how you can avoid being uh, led astray by false teaching. So uh, with that for an introduction, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we'll start at verse 14, we'll read down to verse 15. It says, Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let's have a word of prayer here before we get started this morning. Lord, again, we do thank you for a beautiful day. We do thank you for the sunshine. We've seen precious little of it this summer, so every, every blessed moment's nice. We thank you for that. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here in your name and to lift your name up. Help us to do it in a worthy way. And in that name we pray. Amen. So as I say, today we're starting off a look where Paul's teaching Timothy how to deal with false teachers that are around. And the focus today is going to be on using the Word of God as an antidote for false teaching. You see, before we can look at the poison, which we're going to look at next week, we're going to look at the poison of false teaching, we need to have the antidote in, on hand first, don't we? I mean, you, you don't start addressing a poison unless you've got an antidote right there. So, lately, we'll back up and give a little bit of thought here. Lately, we've been seeing Paul try to remind Timothy of his calling, uh, as well as God's resources, which are available to Timothy to fulfill that calling. Now, the calling, of course, is to share the gospel with the church that he's uh, working at in Ephesus there. And God, we've seen that God gives him all the resources to do this, to accomplish the task. Well, now we're going to see Paul demonstrate to Timothy how he ought to be teaching those same truths right back to the people at Ephesus. The same truths that Paul's been teaching Timothy, Timothy needs to teach to the folks at Ephesus. Because verse 14 starts right off by saying to, that Timothy's supposed to, of these things put them in remembrance. These things that I've been telling you, Timothy, you've got to put the church of Ephesus in remembrance of. See, this basic section that we're going to start now is going to continue down through chapter 3 and verse 9. If you want to know what the section is that we're looking at, it starts here in chapter 2 and verse 14, goes down to chapter 3 and verse 9. Uh, so you might ask yourself, why didn't they just make that a separate chapter? And that's an excellent question I don't have an answer for. Uh, but this is the largest section in the book of 2 Timothy. And it's the main teaching section of the whole book. We've seen, we're going to see a lot of directions for Timothy specifically, and we're going to see some general directions for God's people as a church. Remember, one of the things that I said when we started out with 1 Timothy, we're not looking at a book that was written to the church in general, not, not necessarily to you and me. It was written specifically to Timothy and his specific case, but we're going to see some guiding principles for the whole church. One of the very important things to remember is that Paul has a strategy for dealing with the problem of false teaching, which is an ever-present problem. It was present then, in the first century A.D. It's present now. There's false teaching in the church today. Do you understand that? 
As long as we all grasp that, we're good. We're going to see Paul give Timothy some advice on exactly how to flesh out the instructions that he's already given. Paul's not really teaching Timothy anything new. He's just showing how we can flesh this out. Next week, we're going to look at some of what that false teaching looks like. I already mentioned that. But today, we're going to see what proper discipline looks like in the life of a believer. I don't know if you've noticed, but that's one of my pet topics to talk about, is proper discipline in the life of a believer. And see, this, is how, this discipline is how Timothy can be expected to fulfill the command that we saw back in chapter 2 and verse 1, which said, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We've already seen the call to join Paul in suffering, chapter 2 and verse 3, and that Timothy ought to be remembering Jesus Christ raised from the dead, chapter 2 and verse 8, and those are powerful rallying words. Well, today, we're going to see what it looks like when you put them into practice. And uh, I'll jump the gun, and I'll tell you right up front that right understanding and proper presentation of the word of truth is critical to properly defeating false teaching. If we know how to properly handle this, we can properly handle false teaching as well. So let's back up and read verse 14 again. It says, Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. So, so far in this chapter, we've seen Paul exhort and warn Timothy about things that he may have to suffer in his Christian walk. He, that's been the theme that we've seen so far. And we've already discussed how these are valid truths for all of God's people throughout all time, that the lack of persecution and the lack of suffering that we have in America is an abnormality. This is not how Christianity is supposed to be. And that's why, I believe, we see Christianity thriving in nations where there is great persecution and great struggle. Yes, Paul is writing to Timothy personally in first century Ephesus, but the principles still apply to you and me in 21st century America as well. Now, we see in verse 14 that Paul's instructions to Timothy come in two parts. First, he is to remind the people of Ephesus of something. He is to remind them of something. Of these things, put them in remembrance. Uh, Jesus used another form of the same word. The same word is uh, hupoponesco. Uh, we can break that down. Hupo means above and beyond. Memnesco ought to bring to mind, you may have heard of a uh, memorization uh, uh, mnemonic memorization. You've, you've heard of things like that. Well, Hupa Memnesco, to bring back to remembrance, Jesus used that, a similar form of that when he said that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. He says, Hupa Memnesco. That's in John chapter 14, verse 26, if you want to look it up. Paul's going to use the same language with Titus in Titus chapter two and verse one, uh, 3 and verse 1 when he says, put them in mind. Hupomonesco, same concept. Peter, uh, John, and Jude all said very similar things in their writings as well. So you've got Jesus, 
You got Paul, you got Peter, John, Jude, they all say the same thing. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, I'm putting it into your remembrance by saying it again, that I'm not here to give you new information so much as I'm here to remind you of things that you had already learned in your own Bible study. If you're coming here primarily to learn something new from God's Word, I feel sorry for you because you're going to be largely disappointed. You're largely wasting your time if that's what you're coming here for. Yes, I might point out a fresh perspective on something once in a while maybe, but mostly I'm trying to inspire you to follow the truths that you already know. Now, the second part, I said that there's two parts to Paul's teaching here to Timothy. The second part is that he should charge them before the Lord. Of these things, put them in remembrance. We already covered that. Charging them before the Lord. Now, we've already discussed earlier in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy that this word charge can easily be translated warning. Give them a warning. Notice that this charging or warning happens before the Lord. That's where I want to focus right now in this section. These tasks that Timothy needs to fulfill are before the Lord. See, I just said that I'm up here not so much teaching you something new, because I'm not that smart. I'm more or less just reminding you of something you already know. But I'm not just reminding you folks just between you and me. I'm doing it before the Lord. And that puts a certain gravity on the situation, doesn't it? If I'm doing something before the Lord. Do you ever think about how God both enables and observes our ministry? Yes, I, or I, it's only, only through God that I can do that. Yes, that's true. But you realize that God is watching you as you perform that? that that's sobering, isn't it? See, the concept, and this isn't the only place this is mentioned, the concept of ministry before God is very common in Paul's writings. This was a main theme for Paul. It gave him focus, and I believe it's what inspired him to be probably the most efficient preacher of the gospel that the church has ever seen. He mentions it in Romans 14, 22. He mentions it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12, Galatians 1, 20, 1 Timothy 5, 4, we're going to see that later. In fact, let's look at, uh, we already saw that when we were in 1 Timothy. Uh, let's look back on that because it gives us a little perspective. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, and verse 4, But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home, to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. We've also seen Paul many times state that he gives people a charge before God. He's giving instructions before God. We saw that in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 21, 1 Timothy 6, 13, 2 Timothy 4, 1. We're going to see that in a little bit. We would do well if we remember that our ministry is all done in the very presence of God. It's not just you and me in an old building in Surrey, New Hampshire. It's before God right now. We are in the presence of God, and that ought to inspire us to take this, what we're doing right now, a little more seriously. 
So, what is Timothy supposed to be reminding and warning people of? I mean, we've, I've gone on for quite a little while now on, okay, Timothy, you're supposed to be reminding people and warning people. What? Of striving about words to no profit. That's what he's supposed to be reminding and warning them about. Now, that reminds me a lot of what we saw in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 4. Uh, when he's describing somebody who, well, let's back up to verse uh, 3. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, here's where I want to focus, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmising, perverse disputations of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Now, what Paul's not saying is that uh, he's not saying that we shouldn't be taking care to see exactly what words do and do not mean. We should definitely be doing that. We need to be paying attention to exactly what words do and do not mean. We see Jesus talk about that uh, in Matthew chapter 22. Let's, let's flip over to Matthew 22, verse 31 and 32. It's a familiar passage, but let's look at it. Remind ourselves what Jesus had to say about this. Matthew 22, 31, 32. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? Uh, it says, and when Peter, this is Paul writing, and when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Now this is Paul, by the way, this is a great one to throw uh, if you've got a discussion about Peter being the first pope. Uh, Paul stood up and uh, rebuked Peter. Uh, you don't do that with a pope. So uh, anyway, Paul and Peter had to rebuke Paul had to rebuke Peter. They had a little bit of discussion over uh, doctrinal issues. But at times, this is what Paul is saying. At times, Christians spend too much time arguing over points with no value, which serves no purpose but ruin the people who can't help but listen in on the discussion. You know, sometimes you'll have people, they'll be arguing about a, a point of doctrine or something, and there will always inevitably be some less mature, let's say, 
Christian and that can't help themselves but to listen in, and then they side with somebody and they may not really know what they're talking about. There's a danger there. Paul's reminding Timothy to be pointed in his instructions and to help people avoid the snare of the devil that we read about, verse 26. We're going to get there. I'm not going to steal my own thunder. Uh, but that's a snare of the devil. If certain people in the church are getting caught up in stupid arguments, it's Timothy's job to either end it or steer it in a more constructive direction. That's what Paul's telling Timothy right now. If there's stupid discussion going on, Timothy, it's your job to stop it or steer it in a more better direction. And the end of this verse is very interesting, too. It says that these discussions, these, these th words are to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. You see, we as ministers of the gospel are not to be caught up in the mundane or the bureaucratic or dare I even say denominational things. You know, it's, it's always been amazing to me. John chapter 17, Jesus praying in the garden, he prayed over and over and over again that we be united as his disciples. And yet we have so many denominations in Christianity that it's absolutely astounding. I don't even know what a primitive Baptist versus an old line Baptist is, but they exist. I don't know what the difference is. They've got some discussion, though, that, that makes a distinction. We hadn't ought to be wasting time on that. It's no profit, and it's to the subverting of the hearers. We are called to be focused on things with eternal consequences. That's what we're called to. What bearing does it have on eternity? Consequences with significance to both the teacher and to the hearers. See, uh, Paul writing in Acts chapter, or Paul speaking in Acts chapter 20, verses 31. He said that in the three years that he was in Ephesus, Paul ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears for three years. And Paul is calling Timothy now to show that same sort of passion in ministry to the exact same people, which brings us to verse 15, which is not separate. Many people like to take verse 15 just all by itself and read it all by itself. But remember, it's attached to verse 14. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Very famous word. We all like to cherish it, and we like to hang on to it. And it starts right off with the word study in your King James Bible. The Greek word is spudazo. It can literally be translated strive, work at, be diligent, Work immediately. Make it your top priority. Be zealous. Study actually isn't a very good translation of that particular word. Let's look at some other places where it's used. Uh, I'm going to look at two right now that are right in our immediate context in you, to get the idea, and then I'm going to list you a bunch of others. Let's look down to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 9. Do thy diligence... Spudazzo, what's translated study. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Let's go down to verse 21, same chapter. Do thy diligence to come before winter. 
If you want to see where spudazzo is used other places and it's not translated study, go to Titus chapter 3 and verse 12. Go to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 10. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 17. Go look those up on your own. Those are cases where it's not translated study, but it's translated, make this your primary importance. This is the most important thing. Sometimes you hear preachers say, study, to we ought to be studying this, see? That's the only way we're going to be approved. No, that's not really what it's saying. What it's saying is be disciplined to show yourself, make it your top priority to show yourself approved before God. See, Paul's calling Timothy to make this instruction his very top priority. Make sure you do this no matter what, Timothy. And that drives pretty well with what we just finished reading in verse 14, realizing that Timothy is called to do, he's called to do before God. If you understand that you're doing something before God's eyes, you're going to be inclined to put a little extra effort into it, aren't you? This reminds me of what Paul also wrote, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, right? Give our lives as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable before God. That sounds like being a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. Living for God is more than just a pretty saying that looks nice on an inspirational poster in a Christian bookstore. Living for God ought to be a reality that can be seen in the way we treat our ministry and the way we treat our everyday life. See, Paul's calling Timothy to make every possible effort to be a workman that God can approve of. One that does not need to be ashamed before God. That's my own translation of that verse. Paul wants Timothy to have a ministry that's more than simply mediocre. There's plenty of mediocre ministries around here, isn't there? You don't have to look too far to find them. We're, to, we're called to do better. Be diligent. Make it your top priority. Timothy needed to be reminded of the high standard of the calling of the gospel. Different church leaders may have different tasks. They may have different specific aspects of ministry, but we are all called to put every effort into doing a good job. And Paul reminds Timothy that he is to be what? A workman. A workman. The Greek word is ergates. Now, I'm, I'm going to take you back a little way. Some of you more than others. Think back to your high school physics class. And do you remember what an erg is? E-R-G. An erg. That's a unit to measure work output. It's similar to, but more precise than horsepower. We use horsepower to measure work output also. Erg is a more precise measurement. Jesus used that term in uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. This is kind of close to where you're going. Can I go to Matthew 9, 37? All right. Matthew 9, 37. Kind of stepping on Brother Fisher's territory here. Uh, but I think it'll be all right. He says, this is Jesus talking. He said, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers, the argates, are few. 
in Luke chapter uh, 10 and verse 7, it says that the ergates deserves his wages. Ergates means, we've already seen it in earlier in 2 Timothy, it means the farmer who's laboring, the one who's working hard, harder than normal. He's had a really tough day. Paul's calling Timothy to a ministry involving arduous and grinding labor. Ergates. So what's the aim of all this labor and work? If I'm going to be putting in a lot of time and effort and arduous labor, then there better darn well be a reason for it, right? Because otherwise I'm not going to do it. So what's the, what's the aim of all this labor and this work? To meet God's approval as an unashamed worker, right? To get that, what Brother Fisher was talking about earlier, to get that well done, my good and faithful servant. The word that's translated as needeth not to be ashamed is a really long Greek word and I can't pronounce it, so I'm not going to. But it's used only here in the whole New Testament. Only used here. It's one word, needeth not be ashamed. Similar words are used other places, but not this exact word. It's closely tied to having a good conscience regarding one's work. Having a good conscience regarding your work. You know that you did a good job. So we've seen that the aim of the work is to not be ashamed. But what is the work itself? What is the work? Well, the bottom of the verse. Rightly dividing the word of truth. That is the work itself. Did you know that the word of God isn't to be handled indiscriminately? Just pick it up, read a passage, and, and yep, we're done. Uh, God's word is to be handled with great care and with great precision. And that's why I try to take the time, if you're ever wondering why I bother to take the time, to give you these little Greek lessons sometimes, rather than just reading an English version. Because to really get the nuance of what God's word is trying to say, we need to break it up very carefully, you see. And that requires a lot of time and arduous labor, a lot of effort. But to not do so is to not hold God's word in the proper respect. If you're not doing that, you're not really holding God's word in the proper respect that it's worthy of. And that could bring shame on a workman, couldn't it? If you're not really handling it the way you're supposed to, that could bring shame on a workman. And I don't want that on my lap, do you? That brings us to the end of the verse. So that brings me to the end. Mind if I close in a word of prayer?